The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kavnat. This week, we're focusing on focus, how to win back the attention span that's been stolen from you in recent years. As we talked about yesterday, the first step, as always, is to admit that you have a problem, because you do. If you spend any significant portion of your day on an internet-enabled computer or smartphone, your attention is being systematically chopped up and sold for parts. You are conditioning yourself to be distracted. And the next step is to take some responsibility for the problem. While it would be nice to blame the machines themselves or their corporate overlords, the fact is we individual humans are still in charge of our own attention. It's up to us to maintain it and spend it wisely. The good news is that doing so doesn't require some superhuman effort on your part. No one's expecting you to stay in nonstop, hyper-focused productivity for your entire workday. That would be impossible and trying to do so would be counterproductive. Instead, the key to sharpening your focus and lengthening your attention span is taking frequent, well-timed breaks. Yesterday, psychologist Gloria Mark told us that a walk outside is the single best kind of break, but it's not the only useful kind. In fact, maybe some of your guilty pleasures, those idle, time-wasting activities, are actually better for you than you think, if you use them wisely. Here's Gloria to explain. The great writer Maya Angelou spoke about her big mind and her little mind. Her big mind was used for her deep thought when she wrote, but she would take a pause in her writing and used her little mind when she did simple activities like crossword puzzles. Both big mind and little mind worked together in Angelou's writing process. Big mind was used for her focused hard work, and little mind was used for her to replenish and then she could come back to her work refreshed. Attention is far more nuanced than just being focused and unfocused. When you're engaged with something and also challenged, then you're putting in some mental effort and you're focused. But if you're engaged in something and not at all challenged, like playing crossword puzzles or solitaire, then you're using what I call rote attention. It turns out that using rote attention makes people calm and happy when their mind is engaged with simple activities. A lot of great writers and scientists used rote activities, like gardening or simple puzzles, to step back from the hard work of focus. It helped them see their work with fresh eyes. Just like we have rhythms in our bodies, like our sleep and wake cycle, I also found in my research that there are rhythms over the day for when attention is at a peak. For most people, it's mid to late morning and also mid-afternoon. Get to know your own personal rhythm and when your peak focus time is. Save your most important tasks that require hard work and creativity for those peak times. And when you start feeling that your attention is waning, pull back and do some road activity like Maya Angelou did to support her big mind. This was actually, for me, the big surprise in your book, the value that you assign to rote attention activities 
you know, what some people might call mindless activities. So this is your big endorsement for Candy Crush, right? <laughs> I, I don't play it myself, but, you know, basically I, I'm saying give yourself permission to do some mindless, silly activity. It's, it's not a horrible. And if you do it strategically, it's going to be perfectly fine. And in fact, I think you're saying it actually benefits your big mind activities, your creative focused activities, and that the trick is to kind of find a rhythm. I love this quote in your book. I think you say, rhythm is the new flow. So that this idea of flow, which has been popular for quite some time, is maybe a, an unrealistic standard for us to be trying to achieve in our regular lives. Can you tell you a little bit more about flow and, and what the problem with that idea is? Flow is defined by the psychologist Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi as the optimal form of creativity is when we're at our peak challenge. We're, we're not too challenged. We're not under challenged, but we're right at that peak. And when you're in flow, you're so immersed in something that time just doesn't seem to matter. Well, flow is great. The problem is for those of us who do information work or knowledge work, flow is just, it's not realistic because we use an analytical mindset. And it's not bad to use an analytical mindset. You can be deeply fulfilled. It can be rewarding. It's just not necessarily conducive to flow. Now, you know, I've talked with so many people, uh, knowledge workers, also college students. People can get into flow on their computers if they're doing complex coding or if they're composing music on their computers. But for most of the day-to-day -day work that people do, it's not going to be conducive to flow. Maya Angelou herself talked about the amount of effort she put into being focused. She said she struggled with words, and she said she wanted to strangle the critics who said this came easy to her. You know, they were implying that she would be in flow, as she wrote, and she just wanted to strangle them and say, no, I have to struggle with this. It's, it's hard work. You talk about the way Maya Angelou did use, when she would go off to write, she would bring a deck of cards with her and some other little, and some crossword puzzles. And during her breaks, she would do these rote activities, these rote attention activities as a way of supporting her creative process so that she, when she was then in her creative flow state, she could just really be in it knowing that there would be these breaks and pauses. I find that really interesting, you know, how people can use a rhythm like that to support themselves. And even more than that, you say that these rote attention activities, which I think we culturally kind of degrade as, as dumb things to do, but that they make people happy, that people report being genuinely happy by playing solitaire, doing crossword puzzles, things like that. For me, it's Wordle. I'm, I have that slight addiction. And it does feel pointless, but I think you're saying that if it's used strategically to support your energy and your focus and your attention throughout the day, it actually can be very healthy and really fun. That's right. It's it's easy, doesn't require a lot of mental effort. You know, we, we might think of rote activity as, as being silly and mindless and not having a benefit, but the philosopher Wittgenstein 
said that he got his best ideas from peeling potatoes, which is rote activity. And, uh, you know, I, I have a, a friend who's an MIT professor whose favorite road activity is pairing socks, matching socks out of the mm, wash. So that would be a good one. There are some great minds that benefit from road activity. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for giving our little podcast your full attention for the last 10 minutes or so. I now give you permission to go match the socks or do the wordle or whatever your favorite rote activity is. That will make it easier for you to focus on the next important task once you do get back to work. Come back tomorrow when Gloria will help us figure out what it is that makes us so distractible in the first place and how we can manage that part of ourselves that just needs to check the headlines right now or the score of the game or what's happening on Instagram. Be sure to get our Next Big Idea app for more tips on productivity and work-life balance and sign up for our LinkedIn newsletter using the link in the episode notes. I'm Michael Kavnat. See you tomorrow.